Welcome to Ono, Ross, and Carrie, the show where we don't just report on French science, spirituality, and claims of the paranormal, but take part ourselves. Yep, when they make the claims, we show up so you don't have to. I'm an alien. And I'm from here. <laughs> this is Ross Blotcher. Ross Dwayne Blotcher. Uh, I'm Carrie Poppy. I don't have a middle name. Boring. No, no. And we are back to tell you more about Ozark Mountain UFO Conference in Arkansas, USA. Eureka Springs. Eureka Springs. One of the most haunted places in the U.S., but did we get to see any ghosts or hauntings or alleged hauntings or go on any ghost tours? We went downtown, I assume that was downtown, to find some place to eat, and it was maybe seven minutes after a ghost tour had just left. (laughs) That was so awful. We were so crestfallen. We're like, no! Yeah, we look at our watches, it's like 8.07 or whatever. Uh, It was fun wandering around Eureka Springs. Clearly, there's a lot more we could take in there, including a giant Jesus statue. Yes, which we really wanted to go to That's for... That's probably the thing I'm most bummed I missed. Yeah, we wanted to go for Easter sunrise service, Easter being my favorite holiday, but... We were so tired. We are at the conference. The last time we were telling you about it, we had just left Deborah Cobble's account lecture of her own abduction experience and other things that she is a magnet of, such as tornadoes. Mm -hmm. So we went on a small break, but we came back because next we were going to hear from... (laughs) Mike Cleland. Mike Cleland. He lost the mix somewhere. Yeah. I've never heard of just Cleland by itself. I guess if you put his name together real fast, it kind of is just McClelland. McClelland. Yeah. But we referred to him as Owl Guy. Owl Guy. The Carrie was excited about this long uh, in advance. Oh, yeah. So I wrote us out an itinerary beforehand, and I was like, this is the talk I am so excited to see. <laughs> because, listen, I love birds. I take care of pigeons on my balcony. Yes. I feed finches. Yes. I get very excited when we get morning doves, which isn't very often. Okay. I bird watch. I love chickens. Listen, the point is I like a bird. Mm -hmm. Now, I saw coming up on this roster someone who's going to tell me about how owls and UFOs are somehow linked. And I couldn't really understand from the description like... Okay, are owls signifiers of UFOs, or do they warn us about UFOs, or do they fly alongside UFOs, or are they secret aliens? Yes, what is it going to be? And I was so excited to find out. Yeah, me too. Not as excited as you, but this has got to be good, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, we we were betting in advance, too. Oh, yeah. Kerry was uh, pretty sure that he was going to. I thought he would make a who joke. I thought he would reference Twin Peaks. The owls are not what Mm, they seem. mm -hmm, Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You also thought he would make a connection to dinosaurs somehow, the oh, right. bird's that, relation like, to theropod mm-hmm. dinosaurs. I thought he'd make a big deal out of like, they're our last living connection to the dinosaurs. So just to take a contrary position, I said no to all those things. He will <laughs> not make any who puns. I was like, I'm going to lose that bet. But I said, you know what? I think he'll make some reference to their ability to turn their heads 180 degrees. Which I thought was pretty smart. Yeah, I thought uh, that was a safe bet. 360 degrees. Almost. He comes out on stage, kind of tall fellow, balding on top, distinguished features. Yes. He's 54 years old. Hey. I wrote that down because he said he was 54. So he mentioned he was an illustrator. Seems like he was sort of a naturalist, but I'm not sure if that was more of a hobby or a profession. He started out with some of his own paranormal experiences and told us about a story when he was in Northville, Michigan in 1974, thereabouts. He saw a UFO 
of sorts that looked like a coffee can with lights on it, something like that. That was his description. He had an illustration for us. And then he also talked about a time when he was in rural Maine and saw a bunch of aliens standing outside his window. He had an illustration here of five of them standing out on the snow. And then he kind of reprimanded himself for not having gone out immediately afterwards to look for their footprints. Well, just really digs right in, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. th- this was almost him giving us his bona fide saying, you know, like, hey, I'm into this stuff, too. You know, right. I've had my I'm an experiencer, right. essentially. And I think we had that where people would disclaim for us like, oh, I'm actually not an experiencer, but here's mm-hmm. what I've researched. And then other people are like, no, I'm with you. I've seen this. Right. So uh, one of his early like formative experiences with this whole owl thing is that he met a woman named Kristen. I guess he met her camping or he met her out in the wilderness and then took her camping. Okay. And he like kind of glosses over how clearly this was a romantic interest for him. Right. He tries to make it seem like they were just friends. Maybe because his current girlfriend was in the audience. I'm not sure, but it was awkward. Right. It was a recurring theme. Yes. This will happen again. He says, this woman's name is Kristen, shows a picture of them together and says, so she and I were having this talk this one night and she said something just like really impressive. And I thought, wow, this total stranger is just like really deep and interesting. And just as she said that, an owl flew overhead. (laughs) Okay. Whoa. Yeah. I'm not sure I'd even remember that the owl (laughs) flew overhead, but okay, cool. Who could have seen that coming? Four days later, he goes camping with her again. And they saw a lot of owls. This is a great story. And so then he just knew that somehow owls have something to do with UFOs. So he blogged about this. Wait, hold up. Yeah. I'm not seeing a connection, my friend. (laughs) He did. So he blogged about this. It was 2009. And he just kind of put out the question for the internet. Have you had any odd experiences with owls? Mm -hmm. And that is how he became the owl guy. So and then he also asked Kristen, after he had posted online, mm-hmm. he asked her, like, do you remember what it was you said when that owl flew overhead? And she said, yes, I spoke about my thoughts on God. And he was like, whoa. whoa. God, UFOs, same deal, sure. Wow. So what did he hear from people online, Ross? Uh, people started sending him stories. He was getting emails. He's getting messages from people telling him about all of their incidences of synchronicity. Oh, which so is a strong the same word. as magic. Yeah, right. Yeah, he said it was the same as magic. Essentially, synchronicity. I think he also defined it as like meaningful coincidences. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, that, and that was a very popular word at this conference. Yeah, definitely. He was getting all these stories from people telling him about this confluence of owl sightings and UFO or alien sightings. And he's even written a book about it. The Messengers, Owls, Synchronicity, and the UFO Abductee. And I have that book right here. Hey. You can hear it fly. Hopping around. I can confirm that is the book. It is so long. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's dense. Yeah, how many pages? Without the index, it is 378 pages. Of owl coincidences. Yep. (laughs) But we'll get into how I got that. So here are some of those synchronicities, Ross. Okay. One guy saw an owl and then saw a triangle UFO. That guy hasn't been abducted, but he could be one of the maybe people. Oh, yeah. So this is something Owl Guy has defined as what he used to be. It's like the people who like 
they haven't quite like accepted that they're experiencers so you can't push them on the Mm -hmm. fact but like they come on like they probably are this came up a lot the concept at least in that talk about the different musicians who Mm. had written songs when the musician would deny like oh no i'm not writing about aliens or that wasn't a personal experience for me they'd be like oh you just don't realize yet right that you're an experiencer so yeah now we have a term for this the maybe people The maybe people so why owls yeah well we learned that owls have played a key role in mythology there was an illustration of them in a cave over 30,000 years ago owls are connected to death they can see into darkness both literally and we assume metaphorically Mm-hmm. they can be messengers They can be companions. Athena, the goddess of wisdom, she had a little owl. And even in Harry Potter, how perfect is it that they are messengers? Speaking of Harry Potter, how perfect is it that J.K. Rowling's (laughs) name has owl in the middle? That got a big laugh. He put up her name in the slide and highlighted owl and J.K. Rowling. Okay, that's wow. You see coincidences and meaning where they may not be. Yes. But you are right. Those letters are in there. Correct. In that order. (laughs) Then he tells us that one abductee met a four-foot owl with with boots Boots on. on. (laughs) A photographer saw an owl late one night, drove up to it, and then later felt like, I don't think that was an owl. Because it was four foot tall and had boots on it. Like you would do. I know I saw a four foot owl with boots. I should undergo hypnotic regression. Let's clear this up. Yeah, not let's drive back. Let's dive deep into my own memory. So this is where we learn a very important concept, that of the screen Screen memory. memory. So this is when you see something. Say something. Right. And your memory is then monkeyed with so that you don't see what you what was intentionally trying to hide itself from you apparently like it kind of dickers with your memory and now all you get is this owl left in its place but it does an imperfect job it's not a normal sized owl it's a four foot owl and they couldn't get rid of the boots so it'd be like if i were magical and i didn't want you to remember this conversation right now so i like put this magical screen in your brain so that when you remembered all this instead i was a huge leopard well i'd like to think of you as an owl sure okay sitting across from me next to the microphone like wait is why do i remember this owl and then your entire memory is a leopard or an owl sitting and recording this (laughs) podcast with you and everyone's like no ross you co-host a podcast with a woman named carrie and you're like no 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 like i remember the whole thing and it was an owl that would be a screen memory yeah i'll guarantee you it was an owl (laughs) it sounded like carrie So this is where he then introduced us to other common screen memories. Deer, raccoons, clowns, even Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Can be a screen memory for other things. Yeah, kind of a, feels like a controversial statement. Yeah, totally. And it turns out it It was was really an alien. alien. Yeah. Boy, buddy. Dead relatives. That was another Uh, one. Ah, right. Oh, yeah. I remember thinking that that's a lot like Carl Sagan's contact. When the aliens take on the shape of her dad. Yeah. And again, I thought of our buddy David that he might agree with this, but kind of in the obverse that demons would pretend to be these various other things Mm -hmm. and present themselves. David from Amazing Facts. Yes. Yeah. The demons were pretending to be your loved ones or even pretending to be maybe Jesus or pretending to be an alien. So yeah, yeah, these seem like very similar concepts. Seems like such an easy way to not trust your own brain. Right. Very selectively, you know, however you've been inoculated by the 
the person who's told you what to watch out for. Right. I, I think this may be my favorite slide of the convention. Oh, boy. And so you're showing me a picture of a picture right. of another convention. Owl Guy, Mike Cleland, is sharing a photo of himself standing next to these cardboard cutouts of a regular-sized owl. And I guess an owl can get up to like a foot and a half tall. Yeah, it's still very big. Yeah, they're cut out and they've got these very intense eyes, like almost angry bird eyes. And then like a Joe Pesci-sized owl. <laughs> yeah, the four-foot owl sitting next to him. He's like, see, this is not natural. And it was hilarious. And, and he presents it so stoically, like we really might have thought that that sounded normal. Like you, <laughs> you probably didn't realize that four feet is quite big for an owl. So I made you this. I remember hearing that emperor penguins could get up to like four feet tall. I was like, no way. That is crazy big. Yeah. I've never seen one in person. So yes, that's size just of astounding. Human being. How tall is your son, Andrew? My height. Yeah, there you go. Well, there you go. It's like, not as fun a comparison. Five, five it's exactly so. your height. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> he used to be four foot at one point. Okay, there you go. <laughs> okay, wait, no, I take it back. This is now my favorite slide of the old convention. That's pretty good, too. So this one is a picture of the same four foot owl <laughs> set up in front of Owl Guy's car. With the headlights, with the headlights, on, headlights on at on night. To show how if this guy showed up in front of your windshield, you would think, oh boy, that's a big owl. And indeed, he'd had stories from people who said that they were driving at night and they saw this four foot owl in front of their headlights. So right. he was mocking this up and if you see this, no, that's a screen memory. Right. Because owls can't be four feet. It's a it's, gray that alien. That is too big. He also told us about another blog that he really likes to read. By a woman named Lucretia Hart. She writes a blog called At Spiral's End. Uh -huh. It's a very good blog. I haven't read it, but he tells us it's a very good blog. I believe Owl Guy. Lucretia, I think... I think, did he say that she uses shrooms as part of her spiritual journey? I think so. Okay. I think so. I or, think there, or at least that's the impression I, I got. I think there was some didn't. enhancement there. Okay. But yeah, she had this story that she shared with him uh -huh. about seeing an alien at night in the desert, and she spots the alien, and the alien says, Owl, 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 owl and turns into an owl, <laughs> and then like waddles away, <laughs> which is the most <laughs> amazing mental image of the whole conference. And he and he's maybe able my life. to deliver this so seriously. And he turns to her and he says, owl, 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 <laughs> and transforms into an owl. <laughs> it was all you and I could do not to just oh burst God, out laughing. There were so that. many times during this talk that I was <laughs> nearly losing it. So the rest of the conference, we would just keep turning to each other, owl, 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 <laughs> owl. <laughs> So then he starts talking about the concept of proof. And he says, you want proof? Look at my email inbox. That's proof. Because all these people are writing to him and telling him about owls and UFOs. Yeah. Now, this is called confirmation bias, Ross. Yeah. And self-selection, too, of mm -hmm. course. He's the world's chief collector of owl UFO connection stories. Right. So yeah, they're all going to come to him. Yeah, I guess the control would be to say, write to me whenever you see an owl, no matter what. And I will make a spreadsheet. The bar for what impresses him is very low. Right. <laughs> there was a Facebook message that he shared of himself writing and it said, wait, 
you were listening to me and you saw an owl and you saw a UFO. But this Facebook message was screen captured at 1.23 p.m. Oh, yes. And he told us, I always notice when it's times like that. If it's 11, 11-11, 1-23, 12-34, 2-22, 4-44, 5-15. Well, not 5 To be fair, he had just three that he really thought were significant. 11-11, 1-23, and 3-33. Okay. And even had those on their own dedicated slide at one point. But but he said times like those. I think the implication was like ascending numbers, repeating numbers. But yeah, those were like for him the most significant ones. Okay, but he's going to get excited about a different set of ascending numbers in a minute here. Another one of his bits of proof was a Google Maps screenshot of someone who was driving and had this story. And he mapped out how the story had happened. Right. The owl passed the windshield here at this point, And then they saw a dish-shaped UFO here. And then one year later, driving down that same road, they saw an owl toy in the back window of a Whoa. car. Whoa. An actual fuck. owl and then later a toy owl? In so this window. person probably drives on this turnpike every single day on the way to work. But once... Out of 800 drives, they saw an <laughs> owl again in the shape of a toy. Yeah, yeah, but... Oh, my God. But, Carrie, this picture, guess when the timestamp was? <gasps> 3.33. This is a synchronicity. That's what Whoa! that is. I, so I love it. He has the slide that says 123, 11, 11, 3.33, and then he wrote in parentheses, subtle confirmation. <laughs> Pretty subtle. We'll learn that 3.33 is a special time for UFO people. Yes, we actually. I wasn't aware of that. That I guess to abductees, this is a very significant time. It's never quite clear exactly why, but it, you know, stuff happens at three thirty-three. UFOE stuff. One thing I love is that he starts sharing all of these connections between owls and UFOs, and way drags them out. So he'd have a slide saying, Ugh. "One connection is that you may see a UFO and an owl shows up at your house, or you may hear an owl right before a contact event." All right, that's fine. You may hear an owl after a contact event. Okay, you could have just said before or after uh-huh. a contact event. That didn't need two different slides. Yeah, I hear where you're coming from. I felt like what he could have done is split these into common and uncommon because under some of them, he wrote like, this is a common occurrence. And on, under others, he wrote, this is an uncommon occurrence. Mm-hmm. And I was like, okay, just make me a table like of common oh, and uncommon. Okay. Then I could absorb it all in one chunk. It just felt like he was trying to break out more bullet points than he needed. Like, yeah. He's saying, oh, sometimes you'll expect to see an alien, but then you see an owl. But sometimes you'll expect to see an owl, and, and then, then you'll, you'll see an, an alien. Right, yep. and then then he'd follow that up with, and sometimes you'll expect to see a UFO, but then you'll see an owl. It's like, right. oh, just yeah. <laughs> right. lump these together. You know? <laughs> right. Less of a splitter, more of a lumper. I have one that he had. he had a whole slide for, hearing an owl and then seeing a UFO on a beach. Oh, there was a beach involved? Yeah. Oh, I don't even remember that. That's awesome. One very common thing that he called out was hearing an owl while reading his book. Yeah, sure. Now, you've been reading his book some. Have you heard any owls? Uh, No, but I haven't read it that much. Okay. Also, wanting to see an owl and then accidentally seeing a UFO or wanting to see a UFO and accidentally seeing an owl. (laughs) This was the one that burned into my memory. I thought, oh, I can use this because one of them was wishing to see an owl, but seeing a UFO. Mm -hmm. I'm going to wish to see an owl. Right. You betcha. But 
you're subtly really wishing to see a UFO. True. But yeah. you would have counted it if you saw an owl or a UFO. Of sure. course. Yeah. Of course. So there was one woman named Jessica who sent him a message that I think was like the most intense message she got as mm-hmm. far as like serious claim going on. She said that she saw an owl and the owl looked at her and a blue beam of light shot out of the owl's head and into Jessica's third eye chakra that's between her two human eyes. Mm-hmm. Carrie's pointing uh, above the, the bridge of her nose. Yes. At her forehead. And filled her with blue light energy and now she is more psychic than before. What do you say to that? I believe you. All right. I wouldn't put it in my presentation, but he did. Yep. <laughs> Next, we get to the story of Andrea. Uh, his girlfriend. Yeah. Did he so actually say is... it was his girlfriend? Yeah, he said my partner. Okay. Yeah. I love this story because I think she had seen an owl and like called him over like, hey, 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 there's an owl. So he's like, okay, cool. And he brings his, his camera and he photographs it. And she says, I'm seeing a magenta halo yeah. around the owl. So she sees like an aura. And I feel like time is slowing down. And he's like, cool. And he snaps photos and they don't have an aura. So we've got photographic evidence that like that was just in her head. Right. That she saw the magenta Uh aura. But he then took it into Photoshop and he added a big magenta glow around Mm -hmm. the owl. It's interesting like how that happened because you would think that if you thought that it wasn't in your head, you'd be like, are you seeing what I'm seeing? You wouldn't say, I am seeing a purple halo. Yeah, maybe it's just how he's recounting the story. But the only way that story would impress me is if the photo that was taken at that exact moment showed a glow around this owl. Well, I don't know. I, th- I took the story to mean like she has these this like psychic connection to the owl and was having some like internal effect on her. Oh, sure. Just saying that's not impressive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, maybe she had this third eye thing going on. She's psychic like Jessica. Oh, I, I, I get it. Just saying. Well, it's- I think it's very impressive. Well, good. So both of them Andrea and Jessica both said that they downloaded information from the owls, but they don't know what, and it will be revealed to them at a later time. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Yeah, and download. What a useful download. Download was a new term for me in this context from earlier lectures. so to me too. We got such a huge influx of it suddenly. A download, if you will. (laughs) I will say. That now I can't even remember whether it was unfamiliar to me before, but I think it was new to me too. Yeah. So there we go. Hopefully at some point this great wisdom that they receive will be unlocked and revealed. The best knowledge is the knowledge you don't know you have. (laughs) His next slide said, Owls equals synchronicities equals UFOs. Are these all the same thing? No. No. Oh, Ross slide. and I really like rhetorical questions that are the answers to which are clearly <laughs> no. yes, so we can answer no. <laughs> <laughs> right, I'm just going to give up on uh, trying to be consistent with my favorite slides. That was my favorite slide. Okay. <laughs> so then we hear about Lisette Larkins. Now, Lisette. <laughs> Lisette connected to a hawk and downloaded some information. She didn't, she never saw an owl, but. You might as well connect with a penguin. I mean, a hawk isn't at all connected to an owl. No, they're just both birds. This is inadmissible. (laughs) Then he called her to follow up on this. And the day he called, she did see an owl. (laughs) And that had never happened before. 
And get this. Yeah, she'd never seen an owl. Okay, yes. <laughs> get this. Andrea's middle name is, is Lisette. Lisette. What? What? And also, baby owls. I'm not making this up. This is in the talk. Baby owls are named owlets. He is impressed by small coincidences. <laughs> I feel like it would have really helped him for us to just walk through this in advance because he had an hour and a half of time to talk and an hour and a half plus of stories to tell. I feel like we should have run through it with him and just been like, this is very unimpressive to someone who is not as uh, smitten with the owl connection. You might take that anecdote out. These are some to drop. There were a lot of orange orbs in his stories too. Yeah, what was the deal with the orange orbs? I don't know. They kept saying like, so-and-so would see an orange orb and then she saw an owl. Yeah, okay. Then he was talking about Mariah Wheatley and how she studies ley lines. And look, Wheatley ends in L-E-Y, like ley lines. Ley lines. Whoa. Whoa. Ley lines are yeah. another paranormal thing we won't get into, but yeah. An mm-hmm. owl led her to an orange orb. Yep. And orange orbs led someone to a barn full of owls. Right. Baby barn owls, they make a hiss sound. Cool. Thanks for telling us that story. <laughs> Uh, he just trusts everyone too. Like, yeah, he tells these stories. He's a sweet, trusting like, guy. Yeah, he really is. And he tells stories that just like completely relied on the trustworthiness of the narrator, mm-hmm. like, which is a common theme, right? Which is fine to like some degree, but man, there were just some stories where I'm just like, okay, well, the lady with the third eye and the blue beam, I guess we just have to believe her. She may have had arrest powers. That's true. <laughs> I wouldn't rule it out. Oh, did you know Kenneth Arnold, who first spotted flying saucers that were skipping? Uh-huh. He had a pet owl. No. Did he have arrest powers? Probably. Whoa. Yep. So that's pretty big. Oh, yeah. So, okay. This is so sweet. He gets in touch with this animal communicator named Jacqueline Smith. Yes. Now, animal communicators, they're like pet psychics. They mm-hmm. talk to animals. Mm-hmm. The animals talk back. It all happens in the communicator's head. We trust what they say, and we say, oh, is that really what the dog's saying? I guess so. The end. Well, <laughs> she told him why owls are being used in this way. So he asked her, what is it that the aliens have to say that they're using owls to communicate. And she said, the owls are archetypes. Whoa, Whoa man. That's deep. And he was just like blown away Yeah, he by said this. like that finally pulled everything together for him. I get it now. I get it now. They're archetypes. And, and he doesn't really like demystify this any more than that. Nope. Like the, it kind of like rambles about what an archetype is. He tells us that the owl is a symbol or a totem of the difficult or the transformative experience. So that seems to be the symbolism under the owl. Okay. Sure. Great. He said he was even going through abduction literature and he was searching through a John Mack book that he had as like a digital copy. Mm. And so he said, I'm going to search for the word owl. And the first thing he came across was the word Knowledge. What? So he has a slide where he has the word knowledge, like in Helvetica, and owl is highlighted yellow. 
Which made us just want to point out some like every useless word that has owl in it. <laughs> I cry foul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, look at this bowl, bowl. Right, right. Oh, I want to have a bowel movement. <laughs> I know there's an E in there, but still. At that point, with the knowledge slide, I looked up and kind of looked at the audience again. Oh, come on, guys. That was a stretch too far. And then I realized again, I had no sympathy nope, with this audience. like, you know, this is a really wow. interesting, good point. This is knowledge. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there's still that lady either in our row or the row behind who with everything is like, wow. And he had screen grabbed this. Like his search on his iPad <laughs> was at 11.11. I swear this guy sits there and is like, ah, it's 11.08. I can wait three minutes. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. So he then shared his confirmation event because he felt like he had maybe seen a couple things when he was younger, but he'd never really like experienced aliens firsthand. Mm -hmm. And so he told us this long story about how instead of staying at hotels, he will set up a tent when he's on the road or he'll sleep in his car. And so he would do this regularly. But he had seen things and heard owls in various places he'd camped out. And so over time, he had built this kind of map of places he had camped out at different times and it turns out it formed this line with these three nodes that connected and when he finally did with one of these girlfriends that he didn't really call a girlfriend <laughs> camp all of whom like by the way kind of look similar yeah he clearly had a type uh-huh that they were camping out one night and it turned out it was like right in the middle spot between these other two spots where he'd had near experiences He'd even had like a vision about it, like about these three dots connecting in the middle. So it turns right. out they just camped out at that one spot. And that's when in the middle of the night he had a visitation experience and she woke up and found him levitating in his sleeping bag. She woke up and was screaming and then he remembered the levitating. I don't think she actually remembered the levitating. He had an illustration on the screen that showed essentially her showed, right next to him right. while he was levitating. Okay, But I don't think she recalled the levitation in the yep. morning. I, don't, I do that have a was... note here, Natasha saying, Mike, you're floating. So she Oh, did, that's right. She you're did right. see him. And then he wondered if he was on a table, like he thought maybe he was in the middle of an abduction. Uh-huh. So again, like with Andrea's owl, we have one person seeing one thing and then someone else claiming that they're doing something completely different in that same moment, while other people are eyes on watching this. Right. That's, that's also like that guy with his head against the portal. Like uh-huh. It's like, oh, I fell and I had this vision and everything. No, we saw you right there with your head against the right. wall. That's all fine in that... You could argue, okay, so like something's going on in this sort of like other dimensional world that the person's tapping into in their subconscious. That's one explanation. But That's like, very generous of you. But the clearer explanation is that this person's having an out-of-body experience, which is something we can physiologically account for. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, fair enough. That's nice of you. It's not fine with Ross Blotcher. If you go through a portal, I want to see you disappear in the real world. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah, there, there was I'm also- I'm just saying that's like, that's one explanation you can make, but I think the more parsimonious one is- Certainly the stronger one is like, you know- the- act- actual observable effect to everybody else standing around right but i mean levitating that's a huge thing i want to know more about this levitating story right if if i see you levitate without any support now you've got my attention i think it's more likely he had an out-of-body experience yeah yeah quite possibly which are very common yeah and then they come from lucid dreams. all of this was peppered with these same kind of little coincidence stories he was saying, oh, this all happened in Dolores, Colorado, and Natasha was studying with Dolores Cannon. Whoa. Dolores C. and Dolores C. 
whoa, that's too much. Another person he had been conversing with was also a Mike C. Whoa, the most common male name <laughs> in the United States and a letter? Come to think of it, I know some Mike Cs. Yep, yep, yep. that's not impressive. Another time, he had just gotten an email from Mike and like an owl stopped on the branch outside of his window. And he said, I've lived here 20 years. Yes. I've never seen an owl sit on that branch. This was a shaman. I love this story. So Mike wrote his first essay on all this owl stuff. Uh, this is actually, this is very sweet. This was 2013. He wanted someone to sort of peer review it. So he sent it to a shaman. <laughs> and uh, as the shaman read it, supposedly an owl landed outside his window for the first time in 20 years. And I'm picturing this and I'm thinking like, it's 2013. Everyone has a camera in their phone. An owl lands on your branch for the first time in 20 years. Take a reading picture. a book about owls. You're like, holy shit. Finally, we've proven. Me and the owl guy have proven that this paranormal stuff is true. Take a fucking picture. He probably grabbed his camera and he's ready to take the picture and saw, oh, it's already 124. <laughs> What's the point? <laughs> but instead, he's just like, isn't that interesting? Well, I guess I'll write Mike an email and just say, oh, hey, by the way, and I'll land it as a... Like, it's very hard for me to believe this. Yeah, yeah, pardon me for truth. questioning your story now. Right, yeah. right, because the means of verifying it are so easy. So easy. So we finished up his talk around then, and we looked down. We're about to head out for lunch. And what time is it, Carrie? 12.34. So Carrie runs up to tell him this mm -hmm. and he gets all excited he was so stoked he was like it's 1234 ex exactly yes <laughs> and like pushed his hands out to the side like a little kid who won a prize now take note that wasn't one of his three times that he had put up on the screen there no was neither was it 333 which he mentioned later oh, we'd be mad if it was 333 because he would have gone would've way too very long we'd be hungry yeah that but was he just likes ascending numbers that's what i'm telling you that was or repeating uh, numbers, anything like there's that. So many times that would then be yeah. significant. One, one eleven, one twenty three, yep. two twenty two, two thirty four, four fifty six, four forty four. Yeah, like, there's at least two every hour. So a stopped clock is right twice a day, but he's got so much wiggle room. <laughs> That there are significant moments happening. I bet we could find like, like 28, 25, yeah, something yeah. like that in a day. 25, 26 a day. So, and he'd be like, whoa. Made it pretty easy on yourself, especially when you're willing to fudge just a little right. one way or the other. Mm -hmm. So we went and got some lunch. I think even if he had stopped like exactly on the hour, he might have been like, wow, look, I stopped exactly on the hour. When we came back from lunch... The announcer, Forrest, came up and told everybody, now, normally Mike is always on time. He, like, never finishes late. And he just happened to go a little over, and he finished his talk at 1234. Yeah. And Carrie's like, why didn't they tell him that? I don't know. <laughs> why didn't they point out this total stranger <laughs> who told him? But, yeah, this made a big impression. Yeah. It's a big deal. Oh, we were having so much fun at lunch uh, talking about the owl connection. The restaurant, we saw like owls and we took pictures of them little Yeah, like plush, uh, they uh, were the purses. coin purses that had owls on them. And we were like, well, we got to tell the owl guy. And then I opened up Pokemon Go and I was like, oh, I hope there's a hoot hoot. Yeah. And so I was fishing for Pokemon. And one minute after 123 at 124, I got a hoot hoot. I was like, come on. Yeah. One minute sooner it would have been perfect synchronicity. So then I said to you like, oh, we should go show 
show owl guy that you caught an owl and show him my picture uh-huh. of the coin purses. And you were like, yeah, we should tell him. Turns out owls are a major part of our culture. <laughs> <laughs> that had us both in stitches for a few solid minutes. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, so. Guy. So then we went down to the vendor. Oh yeah, Every, vendors again. Everybody, yeah, selling their wares, and there he was. Yep, selling his books. So we got his book. Yeah, you got me his book. Yay! Yay! Thank you again. You're welcome. And it was twenty five dollars. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's that's above. I can't do it. And you were like, well, this is a good opportunity. Yeah. Uh, and so he signed it. April twenty seventeen. Carrie, thanks for the time check. Peace to you, Mike C. Exclamation point. That's pretty awesome. Yep. And after we told him our stories about the owls that we had encountered, he, he said- immediately backtracked. Yeah. He's like, these people are a little too excited. Yeah. I need to calm them down. He was like, yeah, we saw those owl coin purses. Like, owls are kind of everywhere. Sometimes it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh sometimes an owl is just an owl yeah yeah i think he was trying to curb our enthusiasm yeah <laughs> and his girlfriend had a scarf on with owls on it and she's like yeah i mean there are even owls on my scarf <laughs> well you picked that totally by accident yeah <laughs> i bet you wore that because of the owl talk but okay i said to him oh, okay so how do you tell if an owl is a sign or not mm-hmm. and he was like oh, yeah I mean, like, there's not, like, a really good answer for you on that. I don't really have a good answer. I think he was just trying to put a stop to what he saw was going to be a very unhealthy relationship. (laughs) So I I tried to throw him a bone. I was like, maybe look for, like, other verifying things. He said, yeah, just, like, I don't know. Just there's no real way to tell. Okay, wow, what a really useful standard. And then we decided that we would make it our goal to (laughs) To make him uncomfortable of us. So that that we were just a little too impressed with minor coincidences. (laughs) That became our principal goal for the weekend. (laughs) Let's creep this guy out with as many owl observations as we can. (laughs) Because we didn't know how we had done it already. (laughs) How's this possible? So you're the owl guy. So there will be more. Oh, but Ross, 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 Ross. Yes, Miss Poppy. You know how you've been trying to read a lot since our speed reading episode? I have. There is a new podcast on Max Fun. Yes, there is. All about reading. Reading glasses. I'm so excited about this. It's coming out very soon. I'm so excited. I can't wait. I, I will definitely listen to this show because both you and I are avid readers yep. and we love reading. We can't get enough of it. And I just wish someone would pay me to sit around and read all day. I know, me too. And they won't. So reading glasses is supposed to help you maximize your time and be a more effective and informed reader. I know. I can't wait. But there's a little tiny taste of it right Right here. here. Are stacks of unread books taking over your apartment? Do you constantly miss your train stop because you're caught up in reading? I'm Bria Grant. And I'm Mallory O'Mara. We party hard. And by party hard, we mean read books. So join us every Thursday on Reading Glasses, a maximum fun podcast about reading and book culture. Get more out of your reading life. We'll help you conquer your to-be-read pile. Get out of that book slump. And squeeze more reading time into your busy day. Learn Learn how how to read read better. better. Wow, that was good. (laughs) 
So next, we had to go back into the conference room because it's about to start up again. About 500 people there. And it is time for David Marler, our 2 p.m. speaker. And he's going to talk about the Battle of Los Angeles. Yes! So this is a really interesting event. And this is... But not for Carrie. It is, <laughs> this is a real documented historical event, and this was less than three months after the bombing of Pearl Harbor, right? February of 1942. And But first we have to see Lucius's introduction of him. Of course. So we see an intro where Lucius says, David will now share some info with you. Yeah, and not- then a clip of David 10 years ago saying, I'm just going to use about 30 minutes of your time today. And that's the end of that clip. Why are we looking at this? No point in having that whatsoever. No reason. You could have just told us he's spoken here previously. Yep. We would believe you. Yeah, Even even Carrie and I will believe you. (laughs) We didn't need evidence. We believed the story about the owl with the blue beam. Yeah, there are other stories. We at least didn't stand up and question you. (laughs) There are other stories where supporting evidence would have been helpful. This is not one of them. (laughs) So... (laughs) So... <laughs> so we're we're right after Pearl Harbor. <laughs> it- <laughs> So the West Coast is on high alert. We're fearing more attacks from the Japanese, Japanese. and and it's 1942. And so again, real event. Where my father was born. Really? Mm-hmm. Oh wow! And they hasten to point out this is five years before Roswell supposedly happened. This is five Roswell. years. Roswell. Whoa! That's a synchronicity. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> And and also five years before Kenneth Arnold's sighting as well. So, you know, this is in pre-UFO era. Right. So if anyone saw a UFO then, that would really mean something. They weren't just jumping on the bandwagon. Yeah. So this is a big deal. And there are radar records that they saw an approaching object coming to the West Coast and then traveling southward very slowly along the coast. And so they ordered a blackout. And, this and was- not just radar records, but people saw it physically. Yeah, later. Absolutely. And yeah, sometime crazy early in the morning, 2.25, they ordered a blackout. And so all the lights go out. They're tracking this thing. They're getting ready, sending men to the anti-aircraft guns. Another thing that was interesting was that a Japanese sub had actually been detected off the coast of California just a few days earlier, like 36 hours earlier on February 23rd. And it had done $500 of damage. Well, that's how it was detected. It actually did harm our infrastructure ever so slightly, but it was a pretty minor attack. Uh, But it got a bunch of news coverage, especially in Japan. So this was a, you know, clear and present danger. Now, who was giving this talk? Oh, yeah. David Marler. David Marler. Now, he's a hypnotherapist and a guy from MUFON, right? Yeah, that's right. I remember in his introduction, they were giving his credentials, and they mentioned he was a hypnotherapist. And I thought, if you didn't say that, I would trust him more. Oh, uh-huh, sure. Leave that off. And he also has a huge personal library. Very proud of his library. Yeah, he's been collecting stuff for years. So he has a lot of these original newspapers. Yeah, pretty uh, cool. Yeah, yeah, actually, legitimately 
definitely awesome collection. And he was showing some of them downstairs in the vendor area. He also kept telling us how much information he was going to give us. This is going to be so much data. There's so much to go over here. Oh, my God. It's going to be so much. I'm so sorry. I'll try to cram this in. There's so much. That's true. He had a lot of information. Mm -hmm. Yeah, And he was also really insistent. Like the, the skeptics never mention the radar data. And I went back to an episode of Skeptoid that Brian Dunning had done on this exact incident, which is really good. I highly recommend it on the Battle of Los Angeles. And he definitely did mention the radar. So, oh, all right. There you go. So this object, whatever it was, very slowly was working its way down the coast. And what's notable is that they even say in the reports, like it was going too slow to be an airplane. And yet when it reached this area where they had a bunch of guns ready, they just started firing at it. And they fired about 1,430 rounds, mm-hmm. which is a lot of fire. Five people died simply because of stress oh, right. or yeah. vehicular accidents because, you know, people in Los Angeles could see this happening. Like, oh, no, guns are being fired. Right. So five deaths were attributed to the event. Three car accidents and two heart attacks. Yikes. And there was machinery raining down on people. And the official explanation was jittery nerves. And he didn't mention this, but Brian Dunning did in his write-up, that the crews were reprimanded later for having fired way too many rounds and being too jittery and essentially getting carried away. And these were all guys who had just been kind of recruited. They didn't have any real-world experience. They'd never actually been in combat. So jittery nerves were clearly a factor. But then there was a conflicting explanation, at least at the time, that like, no, they really were war or spy planes. David Marler played a CBS radio broadcast by Byron Palmer at the time, and it was recounting these events. I think it was around 3.30-ish that the object reached Long Beach, and that's where this was all happening. This is where they had the artillery. So yeah, they fired at this thing, and they were shooting these giant Klieg lights at it, these giant searchlights. And so there's this famous photo that you can find. If you look for Battle of Los Angeles, you will see this photo of all of these lights pointing in at the singular object in the center, and then little explosions going off around that object as they're firing shells at it. And so uh, many- It doesn't look like an object to me, though. That's the thing. Many of the photos were doctored later for publication, and they actually manipulated the image to make it look like the outline of a UFO, Ah. where there is something that looks like kind of an oval shape, Mm. and then some of those little explosions, artillery explosions that are happening like right above it, do kind of look like that top dome that you often see on a UFO. Oh, yeah. And people would enhance that shape and kind of make that into Ah, like an actual UFO. Okay. So he even showed that. He said, oh yeah, some people definitely manipulated this image, so it's not that clear. Okay, I missed that. Well, good for him. That's a good concession. Absolutely. And he had also been drawing these radar sightings and said that there were essentially like two approaches, that the object had come down the coast one direction, but then also come down another direction, according to the radar. I was a little confused about that, but he had some diagrams there. Anyway, so he spent a lot of time getting into the history of this famous photo that we've all seen and I had not seen it oh okay and he wanted to know who had taken it and so he had done some background research that so was really cool and he had gone through the Los Angeles Times archives because that's where most people knew it as yeah being it was from. interesting just like from a journalism history perspective it had been sort of misattributed to the LA Times when it was clearly an AP photo totally yeah, yeah. so that was the eventual finding and he even had a good indication of who the real photographer was behind it and then he managed to get his hands on the original negative and it was pretty cool he had found it in an archive 
archive and saw that like the marks on the side of the film didn't match those from all the other photos taken at the time, was able to then track that down to the AP photographer uh, and then show the various versions that had been enhanced and cheated over the years and then his own reconstruction. He went in and photoshopped it and showed like what the original shape was. So he was being pretty fair and honest about all this. He even overlaid the current area where they think this happened over Baldwin Hills. So Mm -hmm. I thought it was some pretty good investigative work he had done. Yeah. But my big takeaway was just the nature of the object itself. We hear so many stories about UFOs being so fast or they're fired upon and immediately they take off or they can appear immediately somewhere else or streak across the sky. Yeah, it's supposed to be such advanced technology. That's the whole deal. And this just languidly wanders its way down the coast and then just sits there and takes it while everybody fires at it. Right. This thing that apparently could move better than light speed across multiverses. Right. (laughs) And then like once it gets here, it's like, oh, shoot. And he shot at. I'm just going to move a little further out. He didn't address that. I I did ask him point blank later on. And he said, yeah, that is that is hard to explain. And he didn't try to speculate. And he seemed to be very allergic to speculation, which is great. But he did seem to cast away the most common explanation, which is that this was actually a balloon. You always hear Uh jokes about weather balloons and stuff like that. Yeah, this actually does look to have been a balloon that was used at the time that would have gotten loose and wandered its way down the coast. Like a barometric balloon or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah, Something something for... I mean, don't picture like a child's balloon here. Right, like a giant like weather balloon or some sort of testing balloon. Uh, Anyway, so that's, a, I would say, a far more likely explanation based on what we know. I think so, too. Yeah, and then he didn't mention some of the other conspiracy theories that have come out since then that, oh, a craft was actually found, uh, because I think he knew none of that was sourced or um, really credible. So he just left it out altogether. Yeah, this guy's like a pretty level-headed dude. One of the things he did say about those lights, though, was if there hadn't been an object in the center blocking them, then the rays of light would have continued. And then he showed like sort of a mock-up of what that should look like. He showed all the The light beams continuing past it. Yeah, all the lights crossing in the center as sort of a nexus and then continuing out. And And, and one that he said had kind of changed angles. So it came up and hit something and then changed angles. So he highlighted that as well. I asked my friend Brad Enlow about this. So Brad is... uh, technical director at the Pasadena Playhouse, one of the biggest independent theaters in the country. I showed him both photos because he works with lights and Mm -hmm. designs them all the time. He said... Okay, those are ellipsoidal lights. He said, the way ellipsoidal lighting works is there are a series of lenses that create that effect. The light source bounces off a reflector behind that bounces the light through a concave-shaped lens. If there were an object obstructing the light source, there would simply be no point of origin present. But you clearly see the light source in the image, which works against his theory. Hmm, interesting. Um, He said, my hypothesis is this guy is full of shit. Okay. I think many things could have stopped that light, including just a cloud. Like you leaned over during this and said... Has he never seen a bat symbol before? Right. And clearly there were, if not clouds, there was the rising smoke from all this artillery fire. And so I think that's all it would have taken. Or if you have this balloon in the center of the fire, then you have plenty to account for the activity of the light, stopping of the light and the reflecting of the light. And he even brought it up and showed us his Photoshop enhancement on the original. And I'd say, if anything, he was being very honest with it, that it didn't make his case. Like it didn't show a distinct shape 
It certainly didn't show what we think of as a UFO. It was just this kind of hazy thing and then these bright flashes of artillery around it. So, yeah, it, it came away as just something that he thought was an area of interest and that he felt like some of the skeptical arguments were too dismissive. Right. So, yeah. fair enough. All yeah. right. You know, I, I would say that was one of my favorite presentations because it felt very certainly substantial. most rational. And he had done a lot of work, I think, to really hunt down some new and interesting information. Yeah, I think he and James near the beginning had some of the most rational, totally. level-headed talks. And funny enough, we've got another, I think, kind of rational speaker coming up, someone I would not have expected to be so. One thing that I did really appreciate that David said was we, meaning the UFO community, mm-hmm. should refrain from quoting documents from unofficial sources or at least give a disclaimer if you do that yeah um yeah wow right on buddy yeah Yeah, and i think he was maybe in particular referring to some of the additional majestic 12 documents that had come out Mm. majestic 12 well we'll talk about it a bit more uh, with our next speaker but uh, essentially there had been these documents that came out and were thought to have been purposefully planted hoaxes to mess with the ufo community and additional documents came out later that were even less convincing and they had said a lot specifically about a retrieval of a actual object after this event the battle of los angeles and so i think that was what he was obliquely referring to but anyways yeah totally right on i will dock him for this though at the very end he said one report did say at the very end of all this that it was very probable that this was all a weather balloon. And he he turns and looks at us and says, that doesn't sound very confident, does it? Very probable. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. No, that sounds pretty confident. Very probable means like almost certain. Can you imagine if they had on record someone saying it's very probable that it's a UFO? They would be over the moon. They'd be like, oh yeah. Look at that. Very probable. Probable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I think Very they probable means to me like over fifty percent. Being inconsistent, I think, in their weighing of that. That's a really good yep. point. Before the next talk, Julia Cannon gets up and she announces that she walked in the room just as someone flashed the image of her mother, Dorothy Cannon, up on the screen. Mm-hmm. And that's just too weird. She would call it weird, but her life is so weird. She can't even say that anymore. That would be so impressive if her mother hadn't been the organizer of the conference for many years and written many books that are rotating outside on giant hooks for us all to see. And hasn't been mentioned in pretty much every single talk that we've seen so far. Yeah, other than that, that would have been really impressive that that her mom was on screen. But I'm glad she had that moment. Her mom sounds very beloved, though. It's very sweet how much they love her. Yeah, I wish we could have seen more than just a a few clips of her. Yeah. Well, uh, next time we'll be bringing you Stanton Friedman. Yes. We are very excited to talk to him or hear from him. Yes. A long-standing member of the UFO community. Yes. And more, our speaker's dinner as well. Can't wait to tell you about that. Yes. In Ozark Mountain UFO Conference, episode four. Yes. Well, that's it for our show. Yes. Our theme music is by Brian Keith Dalton. Our producer and co-editor is Ian Kramer. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash onrack, O-N-R-A-C. There we post pictures. There we post articles. There we post our musings for you to interact with. And there are lots of good, fun, nice people there. 
You can also leave us a review at iTunes or you can find us on Stitcher or maybe on that little podcast app on your iPhone. Wherever good podcasts are shared, there we are. Or maybe you find us at your local library. Maybe you sit there and you hog the public computer and you listen on shared earbuds, but you should clean them first. I like to think somebody does that. Yeah. Probably. I hope it's someone named Clive. If you want to support us, go to MaximumFun.org forward slash donate. That is where you can make a contribution of a financial nature. And we greatly appreciate your support. We appreciate all the people who support us. You are the best. People really came through for us in this last fun drive. Holy moly. Thank you so much. Yeah. That's why we've been able to go weekly now. Absolutely. That has directly led to our weekly status. And now here we are in your ears. And remember makes this contact with this thing like telepathically and this thing looks at her and she looks at it and she looks at her and there's this like back and forth and she hears this voice in her head that goes owl 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 and she watches the change into an owl right in front of her turns around and runs into the woods Hi, this is Griffin McElroy. Hi, this is Rachel McElroy. And we're the hosts of Rose Buddies. It's a podcast about the Bachelor family of products. We watch The Bachelor, The Bachelorette, and Bachelor in Paradise. Yes, it is garbage television, but we're the king and queen of this garbage pile. We're the raccoons in charge around here. So join us on Tuesdays. Because the TV show's on Mondays. And basically we'll recap what we saw and we'll just sort of scoop the garbage around us and make a little fort out of it. No viewing required. But it's it's a good TV show. What are you doing? <laughs> MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.